0: So, Father, this morning we just want to come to you, Lord, with a heart full of thanksgiving, Lord. We are here alive, well, not because we are better than anybody else. We do not even know why. All we can say is thank you. Because we see others dying, others struggling, Christians, believers. Oh, Father, here we are. All we say is, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, thank you for the days you add. Help us to redeem the time, for the days are evil. To walk circumspectly, knowing what is the will of God. Help us, Lord, help us, help us, help us. We come at this time of teaching into thy hands. You are the teacher. And it's the anointing that teaches us. So teach us, Lord, I pray, may the anointing be upon all the hearers, now and in the days to come, that we may learn of you. So we surrender ourselves, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. <coughs> amen, 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 amen. Like I said, there's so many, so many Tragic things that are happening around us. We, we leave the pagan world around. I'm talking about the church. Like I was talking to the kid's sister who had died two days back. Was part of my old Bible study group. And they were saying that so many. And she's, she's a young mother. Just died, leaving two little kids behind. And uh, six and nine. She was saying that in one of the largest churches here, English-speaking churches here, just not mentioning. So many have died. So many mothers have died, leaving little kids behind. And she said, there is a kid, he's 30, 14, or 15. His father died, his mother died, his grandparents died. Only the kid is left. No. And these churches do not even have orphanage to take the children. (laughs) It's heartbreaking to know that so many are dying. But that's why I said don't take life for granted. It's God's mercy, God's goodness. So we turn to the book of Titus. You can put that AC on. I just put this off. You can put that on. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. We had looked on Saturday, right? And Sunday, we had looked on a <clears throat> doctrine, how important doctrine is. It's a structure on which the church stands. It's a structure on which you and I as believers build our lives. If our st- doctrine is weak, and when the day of evil comes, we will just fall apart. Honestly, we will fall apart. Okay, when that when that day comes, we'll just fall apart, you know. One of my kids from that same Bible study, you know, we were a very close group in the Bible study. Actually, one of the kids in that Bible study was the one who brought Pastor Vijay to the church, like a kitchen. So one of the kids is in in Lumpur, and uh, you know, and uh, another one is in Atlanta. It is interesting too. All of them called up because when they heard this kid died, and the kid from Kuala Lumpur was saying, I mean, it's really bad times you are going through. And she said, going back to 16, 17 years and say, Papu, what you taught us, how to withstand when the day of evil comes. You're still holding on to it and we are realizing we are going through this. The other young man married with his kid, he texts me and says, Pastor, we were doing our daily devotion, and uh, we were doing on Titus, chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing in the families, husband, wife, and a kid. We were discussing how everybody has to learn. And then I go and I see that he was preached about it. <laughs> and so, and th- then he asked this question, older men need to be taught, older women need to be taught, Young men need to be, to be taught, young women need to be taught. What about the children? So I text me and says that especially the duty of the fathers. He said, well, You wouldn't believe me in this Bible study when I said, What about the children? My wife exactly quoted the same words. Especially, she looked at me and said, Especially it is the duty of the fathers. So we are not looking at children today, but we are looking at fundamental things that will hold you through when bad days comes. Sound doctrine, it's the doctrine of Christ, and Christ came to reveal who the Father is. If you really, really do not know who the Father is, what kind of a person he is, when the day of evil comes, we will not be able to stand. Like we looked at David, how did he stand when that thing was? He turned back and said, this is who God is. God is a God of severity, but God is also a God of kindness, and if we repent and turn back, what we experience is not severity, what we experience is kindness, and we need to know, okay, on uh, Sunday, we looked at uh, Titus chapter 1, and we looked at verse, uh, that verse which talks about uh, hope, and I wanted to read it in NIV, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of our Savior. And we saw, this is an incredibly loaded three verses, okay? What is the purpose of it? That we further, we grow in faith. We grow in the faith of God's elect. Second, faith and knowledge are not contrary. True knowledge and faith goes together. It's a false knowledge. Run away from it. And there is something which is known as true knowledge. Faith and knowledge go together. So Christians are not anti-intellect. Okay. Unless we know true knowledge, we cannot love God with all our mind. So the purpose of preaching is that it causes us or induces us in us faith and the knowledge of God. <clears throat> if you come to the next verse, <clears throat> next verse four. Oh, sorry, Titus. Uh, we'll go in that order. Okay, yeah, one verse four. Okay, to Titus. It is written to Titus. These are personal letters which are so good, so loaded, that God made it scripture. So these are a few letters you shouldn't feel embarrassed about reading somebody else's mail. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to read Mm -hmm. Paul's letter to Titus because it has become scripture. Imagine somebody's personal letter becomes scripture, how loaded that letter is. Mm -hmm. So he's writing to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace, from God okay so if you look at it he's writing to Titus now we know about Paul's companions we know about Luke we know about Timothy quite a bit and one thing we remember about Timothy is the faith he got from his grandfather mother and grandmother and about also he's a very timid fearful character we know about Dimas. One thing we remember Dimas is that Dimas loved the world and went away. Okay. Then we talk about the others who gave Alexander the copper smith. We know who gave him a lot of trouble. Okay. But if you look at all the people who worked along with Paul, Titus seems to be his right hand man. What we call in English his troubleshooter. If there was a very difficult issue in any of the churches, he couldn't rely on Timothy because Timothy would buckle under pressure. He couldn't rely on Dimas, because probably he knew this guy where he would end up. He wasn't sure. Luke, he would, wasn't sure what medicine he would prescribe. <laughs> so Titus was his man of the hour. Okay. We first hear him mentioned in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. The assumption is this, okay, this is the assumption, theological assumption, that there is a major crisis in the church in Corinth. Okay, We know there's a major crisis in the church in Corinth. Uh, he must have sent Timothy, but Timothy is too young and too fearful. It didn't work out well, so he sent Titus. And Titus handled it well, so he wrote second corinthians the epistle the second epistle to the Corinthians, and sent Titus back with it. Much we know about Titus, actually much we know about Titus is from paul 's letter to the Corinthian church. He mentions Titus eight times, okay If you look at second corinthians it 's very interesting, chapter two, verse twelve and thirteen. <coughs> Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found the Lord had opened a door for me. Okay, You know this is the man full of zeal. A door opens, he will rush through. Door doesn't open, he will try to break it down because he is full of zeal. But look at what he writes. I still had no peace of mind. It's the only time you see he's been given a pulpit but he's not so into about preaching. You know why? Because about Titus. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. <laughs> so you need to understand how important for Paul Titus was. Okay? He said, you know, God opened a door for me, but I couldn't find Titus over there. So you know what I did? I left and I went to Macedonia. I went to Macedonia. And look at chapter Uh, same um, episode, uh, chapter 7 and verse 5, okay, when he goes, when we came to Macedonia, the body of ours had no rest, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, he says, you know what, persecution, every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within, I'm being Buffeted outside and inside. Because remember, this is all new, new mission ground. Not a single Christian has ever stepped into these places. He's going like Abraham, going without knowing where he's going. What is the reception? And then what does he say in verse 6? But God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He says, you know what? Titus brought so much comfort. He came there. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. He says, you know, not only really that, first one side of Titus is comfort. Because I'm alone here, but I have all these companions, but they're all dead books. And Titus comes, you know, something comes, you know, I have Titus with me. And Titus, the coming of Titus was comfort. On top of that, he brought me the report from Corinth. It was a mess. He's fixed it. It's done. And he told me about the way you cried out your repentance, how you received the word, your love for me. He says, you know what? The comfort of seeing Titus and the comfort, the news that Titus brought. Okay? So it is what we call operation, successful. Okay? The church in Corinth had repented. You do not know that in, in Christian classical language, the coming of Titus actually became used. Like the first missionary to Japan, the first convert after so many years, he named him Titus. Because Titus, the coming of Titus, Titus became a usage in the church for comfort. Okay? So people used to write, us like, your coming was like the coming of Titus. Because if Paul was comforted by anybody, it was Titus. Anybody else, it is trouble, problem, another problem has come. You know, we know in ministry that's the way it is. Okay, this one, okay, okay, okay that number, okay, I have to call this problem. <laughs> then someone, I, that's why I always talk about Betsy. Betsy's call is always comfort. <laughs> that's the child who is going through the worst if you look in the church. Yet, when Betsy calls, it's a comfort. She's not talking about her illness. She's not talking about her radiation. She's not talking about her chemo. She is talking about the message. (laughs) Okay? So, that's what Titus is. Titus brings so much comfort. But we are not studying about Titus either. Now, Paul has been in the island of Crete. Church has started in Crete and is full of trouble. Okay, we think all the people who get into the church are saints. No, they are on the way becoming saints, positionally saints. But every kind of people come in. And there was real trouble in Crete. Unlike all the others, this was one of the most troublesome place. Look at how Paul himself says in Titus chapter 1 verses 10 to 13. For there are many rebellious people. Now he's not talking about outside; it's talking about in the church. Mere talkers, deceivers, especially of those circumcision group. Already groups have circum- circumcision and non-circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining the whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, "Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons." So he's talking about now all kind of. Creepy crawly things have got into the church and they are there. Their testimony is true. True. Therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in faith. That's why Titus is there. Timothy can't do this. Okay, Timothy can't do this. Okay. Demas is dangerous. He may join with them for dishonest gain. Okay. So you need to realize, we need, we need troubleshooters. God needs troubleshooters. Who can God rely, who is both firm and gentle, who will not buckle under pressure, whom God is. You need to realize, God needs uh, what you called, everybody is in the army, but everybody is not in special forces. Okay, though everybody, even the special forces is part of the army, but all the army is not special, will not be used for it. It's okay, so Titus is part of God's special forces. Okay? So here is church in Crete. It is like David and starting a church in the hood. <laughs> it's literally like that. Okay, you will get a Nicky Cruz from that. Who will become a great man of God? Okay? So the question is who can handle the pressure? Who can stay put in churches like that? Who can you send? Imagine you, are, you have a, you are a bishop. You have a huge diocese and one church in that diocese is known for trouble. And he looks at the entire set of pastors and says, who can I send there? Who will survive there? <laughs> who can fix this church and bring, change his people to bring glory for God? He looks around and he says, you know what? Only Titus. Okay? In Western English, he said, you need a tough hombre who won't quit. Okay? So the question is, Now we'll get to the message. We thought you were talking about Titus. No. (laughs) Where does most trouble in life come from? Anybody, believer or unbeliever, we are talking to believers. What is one virtue? If we have, we can handle most troubles that come in life. Okay? One virtue. If we have that virtue, we can handle most troubles that come. Trouble is come, man. As man, as flames, sparks fly up, is man born to trouble, whether you're believer or unbeliever? Okay. But what is that one virtue? If you look at Titus chapter one, it was about primarily appointing elders in the in the churches, and there were loads of troublemakers in in Crete, so. There is leadership, and leadership is not easily chosen by God. Leadership has to be very, very carefully chosen in the church. Why is it important? Like, you know, if anyone desires to be a leader, it's a good thing. Why is it important? Because it's not about being a leader in the church. If you can ultimately have the qualities that makes you a leader in the church, it will serve you eternally serve you eternally. As we study today, you will see most of the leaders in the world today, leaders in the world, 99% of the leaders in the world will not be qualified to be a leader in the church. That is the, that is the, the kind of level God because of the pressure that is involved. That's why I said if you look in a career, the greatest dropouts are in ministry. Unable to handle the pressure because you are in the forefront. And what is the most why? Even if you are not in leadership in the church, one primary virtue. Okay? So we will, why I said it is important is that we have to look beyond the temporal. Because in the temporal, in the world we live in, this temporary world we live in, only thing that matters is success. It doesn't matter how success comes. Success matters. Okay. That's why all these people who passed in the last two years should be hap are happy. But you shouldn't be happy. Why are you happy? Were you proved? Were you proved? Were you proved? If you had really, really a hard working student and you get a GP of nine three, you would be unhappy. I wish I had an exam because I was hoping for nine point nine or at least ten. I was hoping for ten. I'm not happy. You know? We need to realise, okay, you sh- you shouldn't be just Easily be satisfied and contend with things that matter in eternity. That's why Paul is, the writer of Hebrews, I believe Paul is saying in Hebrews 6, we are not going there, leaving aside, let us move on to perfection. That should be our goal. That should be our goal. You cannot give up that goal. If you give up that goal on life living on planet earth, because the entire success in the world is usually based on compromise, not on pursuing excellence. It's based on compromise, because in the temporary, the only thing that matters is success. And they will use uh, use uh, phrases like, "nothing succeeds like success." Okay In eternity, we'll be shocked to see many, if not most, of the successful men and women on earth are in hell. And some of the most successful men and women who were part of the church were actually stripped of their crowns in heaven. Because in practice, Christians are communists. In communism, there is a statement which says the end justifies the means. In the kingdom of God, it does not. It does not. Because the means is the test whether you are of proven character. God is not looking at the end. The end is already done. The means matters to God. I is your character. It's your character. So we saw that uh, in chapter 2 of Titus, uh, four groups were addressed. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And if you look at all these four groups, all four groups have to be taught. The oldest here I have to be taught. The young ones have to be taught. Everybody has to be taught but what is one common thing that has to be taught or essential in all four groups if you look if you go to chapter 2 and verse 2 yeah chapter 2 verse 2 verse 2 teach the older men to be temperate worthy of respect self controlled you will see you know what what do older men need self control if you go to verse 3 likewise teach the older women what self control See, self-control, not to be slanderous, not to be addicted to much. What is that? Temperate, self-controlled. Verse 4, Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands, children, and to be self-controlled. And verse 6, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. You see, if you look at all the groups over there, one vital characteristic God is demanding from us, to be self-controlled now you need to understand what gets us like I said what gets us most of us or all of us into trouble in life is lack of self-control what keeps us out of trouble is self-control it has synonyms like sober temperate discreet but it's basically at the core of it its meaning is that to have self-control Self-control is the inner strength one has over self and not to be at the mercy of external circumstances or external pressure. That's what self-control is. You have external pressure. It can be pressure, trials, temptation, testing. it's all external. And you have the internal strength to resist it. You do not allow the external pressure to guide your actions, your feelings, or decisions, or thoughts. Why are are people depressed? You know why? Because something that is external has got them. And Jesus says very clearly, do not worry. Right? He says, do not worry. Tomorrow can take care of itself. You cannot change your tomorrow. But worry about tomorrow is causing today anxiety. Okay, be anxious for nothing. Most of the things we worry about, we have no control about it. Yet we worry. We are discouraged. We are depressed. You know why? Because we are, we have no self-control. We think it's a problem that makes me conscious, no? It's not. It's because you lack one primary virtue. That virtue is self-control. Okay? The desires of this life, emotions, can lead a person like a noose around the neck. And most troubles arise from that, whether it is for a person, a family, church, or a nation. Both in the Jewish world and the pagan world, and now of course in the Christian world, the virtue of self-control was highly exalted. But for us, for us, pagans exalted self-control. But for us, it is higher than that. If you look at the book of Galatians, the letter to the church in Galatians, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. In chapter 5 verse 22-23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, our issue is that when we think about fruit, because immediately we go into the temporal. Yeah, where do you get your fruit from? The supermarket. From the Monday, You pay it, you get it, right? But you know what? Fruit doesn't come that way. Paul plants, Apollos Waters, God gives the increase, at the end of the increase is the fruit. Meaning even self control has to be learned. It has to be taught. It has to be learned. All this fruit has to be taught and to be learned. Because for every fruit of the spirit, there is a fake fruit outside. There is a knuckly outside. okay? And there is one thing that is true. No? And you should not mistake the fake for the real. And these things have to be taught. If older women have to teach the younger women to love, then everybody has to be taught how to have peace how to have love, what is true love, what is true peace, what is true patience, what is true kindness, what is true goodness, what is true faithfulness, what is true gentleness, and what is true self-control. These things have to be taught, and these things have to be learned. These things have to be learned. okay? Like I said, even the pagan world, Aristotle said this, I count him braver, who overcomes his desires, than he who overcomes his enemies. For the hardest victory is the victory over self. Now Aristotle was Alexander's tutor. And we know you have a tutor like that who teaches you self-control. You will conquer the world. A pagan conquered the known world. You know why he had a tutor who understood what self-control was. And that was one of the primary lessons, the first lesson. His father, King Philip, taught Alexander. Remember I told you about Alexander as a kid. He used to run around to play. And you couldn't stop him because he's the prince. But though the soldiers were given the order, he should not be allowed out of the palace ground. You cannot touch the prince because he's royalty. So he will just go and walk through and they cannot stop him. So one day the father took him to the top of the castle and showed him the entire... It's a story, I don't know how true it is. Showed him the entire landscape and said, you have a choice. This whole land belongs to you. One day you will reign over this people. Now you can choose to restrain yourself and learn what you are being taught within the palace grounds or go out and play with the village voice. Once he saw that, after that, nobody had to close, close the gates or try to stop him. He restrained himself because he understood the purpose. Now that was for a, for a secular temporary purpose. At the age of 33, he was dead. And when he died, one of his last words was that, when you take my briar, my coffin, leave my hands out. Let the world see that I gain nothing. I'm going with nothing. Okay? Okay. But we are being offered something much greater and higher than that. And that's what God is talking about. If Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, in that, not in that order, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, were the greatest Greek philosophers, Seneca, this is stuff I studied in M.A. was the greatest of Roman philosophers. Rome, Roman age comes after the Greek. And this is what Seneca said. To master oneself is the greatest mastery. Okay. But before any of these people said it, in Proverbs 16, verse 42, God had said to, through a man who had no self-control, Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a sitting. Okay. So, even Gentiles understood these virtues. But God had already spoken. What is this great? Great thing? Hmm? Great thing is self-control. But the virtue of self-control has to be taught. And we have to be willing to learn it. To master one's appetites or one day our appetites will master us and we will end to the level of an animal. End to the level of an animal. Even animals have better self-control than most humans. Have you noticed sometimes if you see National Geography, you see the lion lying over there and all the other animals wandering around him. Absolutely not bothered. You know why? Because they know he's eaten. And they know he will not kill if he's not hungry. He will not, but not man. Man will eat even when he is not hungry. That is why it is written about man that the uh, quail was coming out of his nostrils. Okay, and God says this is important, and we will. These are things which we carry on to eternity. Paul puts this virtue in eternal context. Look at First Corinthians chapter nineteen. Verses twenty five to twenty seven. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Okay, so he says. Anybody in this world now, he's talking about games. Anything you want to succeed, you have to be willing to be willing to rest, restrict yourself. You have to exercise control if you have to if you want to succeed. But what do people all do that they to, to get a crown that will not last? But we do it to get a crown that will last for ever therefore i do not run like a man running aimlessly i do not fight like a man beating the air no i beat my body make it my slave so that after i have preached to others i myself will not be disqualified for the price so what is he talking about he's distinguishing between two things the gift and the fruit he says i have a gift and because of the gift the gift operates the anointing operates i can get people into the kingdom I can have an incredible church, I can have a great ministry, but because I did not inculcate the virtue of self-control, on that day I lose my reward. But those rewards are not, demanded, it's not given to you according to your works. It's first given according to your character. First character, then works. In this world, it doesn't work that way anymore. It is works. They are not worried about your character. They are not worried about your character. It is true. Let me ask you something. At the end of the Second World War, what happened to all those brilliant Nazi scientists? They were all taken. Who were they? Wicked, evil men, absolutely wicked, evil men. Where did they all disappear? Both American and Russians took them and gave them a very comfortable lifestyle because they wanted their brains. It didn't matter their the character didn't matter. Okay. And the same thing true here too, everywhere. Your character is irrelevant. If you are skilled, if you are good, okay, that's all it matters. But not in the kingdom of God, so that's what he's talking about. So we have to understand the distinction between a gift and the fruit. In 1st Peter, 2nd Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, long ago we had looked. Therefore, my brethren, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you will never fall. He said, if you do these things, you will never fall. Not only that, when we die or Jesus come, we will receive what a, a rich entrance into heaven. Not ordinary entrance, rich entrance. Rich entrance are people who have character. And Stephen enters... Apostle Paul entered and all. We do not know how the universe was like. Everybody must have stood up. Okay, because they're not looking at his works. They're looking at the man who has come conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. Okay, so Bible says, if you do these things, and it's given a list of things which we do. And we go there, chapter 1, verse uh, 5 or not. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Okay, so it begins with faith. Faith is how we get saved. But add to faith what? Goodness, to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. He says, if you add all these things at the the end, keep on. It's not that you add, keep on adding these things. Keep on adding. And we will realize, we will say, okay, I have self-control. And then you realize the temperature goes a little more higher in life. And you realize, I don't have self-control. I thought it is not enough. And the temperature is going to go only higher and higher and higher and higher and higher, like Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to raise it up seven times over. And you will realize everybody had nobody, or none of the Jewish boys had control. They all bent, bow down before the statue. Three boys said, No way. He said he did seven times over. Seven times over. The question is as the testing is going to get higher, as the temptation level is going to get higher, God says, Will you be able to withstand? Will you be able to withstand? Ultimately, if you look at what is a Christian life, it is the triumph of the spirit over self, over the flesh, over the self. So we will ask this fundamental question. Why was Joseph and Daniel so completely, let's use that word, successful in a pagan culture that was used to overindulgence? Both of them were extremely successful, both Joseph and Daniel. We are not talking about people who are in Israel. We are talking about people who are in the world. Extremely Bohemian lifestyle, both Egypt and Babylon. Why were they so incredibly successful? You know why? Because it was the virtue of self-control, which I believe they had practiced over years. And when the test actually came, they wouldn't buckle. If you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. It's going to be terrible. We I mean, Are in there? People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of the good. Treacherous. Rash. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure. Rather than lovers of God. Now the simple question here is, All the signs are given over there. But if you actually analyze this, do you know why all these things happen? All the things that I mentioned that happen, it is simply because of lack of self-control. When you do not have self-control, everything else follows. See, if we looked at Galatians 5, 22, 23, right? You had love, peace, yeah, kindness. You had an entire list. That's the first thing Sunday school children are taught to memorize. You go over there. I want to show you something. I know we have to learn this, but sometimes it is just in our head. It is not permitting into our soul. Galatians 5. We have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And what is the seventh one put over there? It is It is not that it is seventh. It is. It is the nut that holds the rest in place. If your self-control goes, your love will go crazy. Your joy will go out of the bottle. Your peace will disappear. Your patience will go. You will realize you are an impatient person. Your kindness goes out of the window. Your goodness goes. Your faithfulness goes. Your gentleness goes. What holds it all together? It is self-control. Self-control. Okay, self-control. And like when you talk about one of the fundamental lessons Children, as they grow up, children, they are either made or destroyed when they are young. Now, when Pastor Vijay was talking about the grinders last Sunday for the youth and all, no? you see, I'm telling you, children, a lot of things are learned when you are young. If you do not learn these things when you are young, let me tell you, it will take a miracle mm-hmm. for you to learn when you are older. It is almost impossible, almost impossible these disciplines. I'm not saying it is not possible. You will have to be willing to pay that price. To beat your body and your mind to shape. To make your election and calling and your crown sure. It is not easy. These are things that are learned young. And all it takes is one thing you indulge in when you are young. Like Isaac, it was eating. You will goof off when you are old. And all these things are learned when they are young. <laughs> all these things. You see, Isaac was very good in his hair control over everything. You could tie him on the altar, he would not buckle. You could raise a knife, he would not blink. But when it comes to food, he blinked. <laughs> and I believe Sarah was responsible. Okay, Sarah was responsible. Because, you know, Sarah was a typical Indian mob. Oh, Mono, eat, do, eat, do, eat, eat, feed feed, 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 feed. And he loved meat. Loved meat. He chicken in the morning, mutton for lunch and beef for dinner. He just loved meat. And you know what? He goofs up. And we think this are hard. That's what I said. That's the illustration about games. He says people who are for a perishing crown restrain themselves. Restraints, you know. You see, there was Greece, there was Rome, and there was another smaller place called Sparta. And the Spartans were the most athletic of them all. That is why you have a term in English called a Spartan culture. They were so disciplined. They were so disciplined. Okay, Spartan. So disciplined they were. Okay. So you need to realize this was a virtue which was even there in the pagan culture. It was a virtue. It was a virtue. And that's what Paul is talking about. When you are competing for a games, you are willing to exercise self-control for the sake of a crown. You know, the minute you get into an Olympic team, qualification for any country, the first thing is your diet is gone, your mm-hmm. sleep is gone. They decide what you eat, when you wake up, when you play. Everything is decided by them. Otherwise you are out. You are out. Okay, you are out. God says they do that for a so, and you people do who are looking for a career, you do that: sitting up late in the night, waking up in the morning, drinking black coffee, and all. God says all that is good. At the end, what does happen with your career? You retire, and then, then, you wait. I'm telling you the honor. This is the problem about it. That is why there is the the pagan cultures or our worldly culture also looks for self control. But this is something greater. This is think about great people in the world, great people. Let us say the guy who died last year. Diego Maradona. He was a legend. But as soon as playing days were over, do you know what he ended up as? So when he was playing football for his team, he had self-control. He disciplined himself, trained himself. But once his playing days were over, you know what he became? A drug addict. Okay. Or Tiger Woods. A lot of people were there who just went fell apart. You know why? That is what we are talking about. People in the world will have exercise self-control because they have a temporal goal. But once that goal is achieved, they don't know what to do. And they fall apart. But it says we have been promised something, like we said about eight, those who overcome being given. Those who being overcome, you no? Know? And you can never overcome, as the Bible requires, and inherit all unless you have the virtue of self control. Okay. So what is the difference between the saint and the sinner? It is not that one has evil thoughts and evil desires and the saint does not have. No, the devil tempts the saint and the sinner the same way. The only thing is that the saint has learned of the spirit how to control his mind, his body and his desires. That's why true self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Like love, peace, everything else. It has to be learned. Don't confuse gift with fruit. Because the Corinthian church was full of gifts. But when it came to self-control, they were babies. What is the one thing we know about a baby? The baby has no self-control at all. It cannot even hold its bladder. You know that? Absolutely. It doesn't matter whether it is at home or in church, in the public place. It has no control, no self-control at all. When it is hungry, when it is thirsty, when it is wet, you realize, what is a baby? It gives us great joy. But one characteristic of a baby is that the baby has no self-control. And you need to realize, the church in Corinth has no self-control at all. If you look at Titus 1 verse 5, why is he sent to Kriti? The reason I left you in Kriti was you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint, okay, this is, uh, okay, it's okay, uh, straighten out, basically meaning KJU and KJU will say bring order. Okay, order and self-control, I remember. If you don't have self-control, you don't have order. Why don't people have order in their lives? Because they don't have self-control. You cannot have order without self-control. If you have order, you have self-control. Even while sitting over here. How many years have you sat under GTC teaching? And if you do not know how to control your mind, to listen carefully without missing a word, you still haven't learned. One of the foundational things of teaching in the church is for us to have control over your mind, that your mind doesn't wander here and there. You're right. That's why we classroom teachers will look at the eyes of the students. okay, And the expression on the face, why are you smiling when there is no joke? <laughs> what are you smiling about? Huh? What are you smiling about? Okay. Order and self-control goes together. You cannot all have order without self-control. Okay. Turn to 1 Corinthians, right? The church full of gifts and absolutely no self-control. Verse chapter 14, verse 32. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a god of disorder but of peace. So please understand this. The Holy Spirit will teach us to exercise self-control. He will not control us. He will not control us. He will not do that. Then my free will is gone. No. He says, I will teach you. You have to be taught how to exercise self-control. The spirits of the prophets will think you would have loved it. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the Holy Spirit. He says, no. You are on control. You are on control. Because a lot of people say, I couldn't stop because the Spirit. God says, "No. no. You, you. You lost control. You lost control. It's had nothing to do with me, he says. Because the Holy Spirit actually want us to teach us to exercise self-control. Exercise self-control. Because he is not a God of disorder, but is a God of peace. He wants order. He doesn't want disorder. We cannot have order without self-control. Wherever self-control goes, you will see disorder comes in the life of a person, of a home, a church, institution, whatever. And verse 40, the Bible says, Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. What is that? How does it come? It comes from self-control. Okay, So that's why he said, I have to write you like babes. You are babes, you are carnal. What is the reason? You are full of gifts. That's why I said, that's what Paul is very, very careful to distinguish between gift and with fruit. And self-control, he said, Fruit of the Holy Spirit and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit has to be taught and to be learned. It doesn't come automatically. You have to labor at it. You have to labor at it over and over and over and over and again. You have to labor. It doesn't come automatically. We think the fruit comes automatically. God says you have to be taught how to love. You have to be taught how to stay in peace in the middle of turmoil. You have to be taught how to be patient in the midst of provocation. You have to be taught to be kind to unkind people. You have to be taught how to exercise control over so that your circumstances and the outside situations do not determine your reaction, but you determine your reaction to all the outside situations. No, otherwise you are a slave. You are not. A, you are a slave. Okay. And understand the meaning of self-control. Okay, it is one not to do the things which one ought not to do. Two to do the things which one ought to do. You need self-control for both. Because there are a lot of things which you, which, you, which you know you ought to do, but you don't want to do it. You don't feel like doing it. Who wants to wake up at 3.30 in the morning? Hmm? Who wants to wake up in the morning? There's nobody. Even the most self-controlled man doesn't want to wake up in the morning. But he wakes up. Wakes up. Okay? okay. No? Who wants to wake up and uh, pray every day in the morning? there are two that's another message one is called duty the other is called desire where duty fails desire takes over a desire for god and sometimes when desire fails duty takes over these these are not opposed to each other they are not opposed to each other they complement each other and that's what he's telling the church in Ephesus. You lost your first love. That's a desire for me. But you're doing everything dutifully. But I want you to go a notch higher. But certain days when you wake up, you don't have a desire to pray. You don't have a desire to worship. You don't have a desire to listen to the word. But you still go and do because you know that's the right thing to do. Because you know how this, both this comes? It comes from control. Your spirit is in control not your flesh, and not your outside stuff. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Why is this important? Because when you stand before God, when you are judged for eternal rewards, one of the virtues that will be first listed is whether you have self-control or not. Control. And the pictures given in the Bible are three people who reigned. One is Joseph, one is Daniel, one is David. David learned and came back. He goofed off a few times, but you will realize he had that. And that's the three people who are mentioned in the Bible who picked up from the literally off the streets, poor people, and they reigned. And God says these are pictures in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 24, verse 25, as Paul, um, Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. This is part of a fundamental gospel. What is he talking about? Righteousness that comes by faith. Oh, I am saved by faith grace alone. God said, good. Now exercise self-control. Otherwise, you will face judgment that day and you will lose your crowns. You will end up as an ordinary child of God. You will not be called an overcomer. Righteousness, self-control and judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. Why? why what was he afraid of? He was afraid. He liked the, everybody likes judgment, righteousness that comes by faith. The other two, they don't like. Because these are all kings. These are all people who indulge no self-control in anything. And when they're told you will be judged one day, they are afraid and says, Okay, 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 I don't want to hear. When it's a convenient time, I will send for you. You know? So we only like one part of the message. We don't like the other part of the message. But the other part of the message is as important as the other. Because self-control is one of the Holy Spirit's fundamental teachings. Let me explain to you or put it across, emphasize this. Absolutely no goal of a true Christian can ever be achieved without self-control. If you ever want to be anything in heaven, born again, you are a child of God, but you want to achieve anything in heaven, it is not possible without exercising self-control on earth. It is not possible. And also understand, without self-control, achievements of a lifetime can be lost in a moment. First time David lost is when he allowed fear to get in. He lost control. Fear took over. Next thing you know is 16 months of living in darkness. One moment he lost control. How does he come back? He comes back by regain control. Now he's in a worse situation. Everything is lost. Everybody has been taken. Men all have turned. The question is, your old discipline, will it come back? He controlled himself from breaking out, breaking down, going into depression. He controlled and cried out to the Lord and God said, pursue. Now the question is, do you have the control to go? On the way 200 said, we cannot. He says, still fine. He's in absolute control now. So God restores you back to where the disciplines you learned, even if you fail. Even if you fail. And you know, later when he's an older man, he loses control one day on the palace roof. It brought disaster to his life. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation rest. So he has to regain control there also. Go to the next verse I gave you, First Kings chapter 1. When David was old and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers over him. So his servants said to him, let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him so she can lie beside him so that our Lord, the king, may keep warm. They searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found a Sunamite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. And she took care of the king, waited on him. But the king had no intimate relationship with her. You see, he has regained his control. You see, Betriva was beautiful. Now he's got a very young, beautiful girl sleeping next to him. He's got control. He said, I'm not going to goof up. I'm running for my crown. I'm running for my crown. I goofed up. I'm going to regain. I'm going to mess up towards the end. That's why he finished well. So whether you started well and running well, continue. If you have fallen, come back. These disciplines have to be learned. Otherwise, it will destroy us. Okay. A man was... uh, in a shopping mall, coming with his shopping cart. And there was a child in the shopping cart, screaming. And he kept on saying, Keep calm, Albert, keep calm, keep calm, Albert, keep calm, keep calm. And there was a lady who was also in the line with him following. And he kept on saying, Keep calm, Albert, keep calm. And the child was throwing a tantrum, screaming. So finally, when he checked out, the lady was behind and he said, Sir, I really admire you for... Being patient with little Albert. He said, no, Albert is me. <laughs> He's telling himself, don't lose it. Stay calm. Mm-hmm. Child will get over it. Don't make an ass of yourself in public. You can handle yeah. it. Keep calm. Keep calm. No? What's the lesson? <laughs> <laughs> if you cannot control the baby, the next best is control yourself. Okay, If you cannot control life and the circumstances that comes to us every day, we can still overcome if we can control ourselves and our response and our reaction to those things. Like I said, because this entire world is about success. And men and women will go to any lengths for it. Even unmentionable violence and dishonest gain for success. And most of the leaders in the secular realm, politics, any industry, I'm telling you, would be disqualified from handling holding a position in the church. Do you remember for waiting on the tables they said pick up seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and with wisdom? When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you have self-control. It is not like here eat here. Eat here. One piece for you, one piece for me. One piece for you, one piece for me. It is not that. They have exercise, control. They are handling the resources of God's kingdom and says, you know what, I know how to handle it. I will not be tempted by this. It is for the public good. It is for the public good. It is for everybody. Okay, That's what the Bible is talking about. Most of the people in the world would be disqualified. Great successful leaders in industry, entertainment, politics, even military. You think, thinking of them with great control. Then they all should be very controlled when they retire, no? They're not. They're not retired. They all, most of them become alcoholics. That's what I'm saying. Don't look at your success in the world as a criteria for entering into leadership in heaven. Okay? Because leadership on church, if you look at God's criteria, is tough. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 3 and Titus 1 7. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. Now you take over that and people run with it and say that means you know what? If you are divorced, you cannot be a leader. That's not what it means. Polygamy was there in every culture, including Judaism. Abraham had three, Jacob had four. And it was there. If you look in the Bible, there is no words against polygamy. Except by saying it was not like that in the beginning. So God says, a leader should have only one wife, not have two. If he has two wives, he's already lost control. Which one will he listen to? When there is an issue. If he cannot run his church home, how will he run his church? Yeah. There are two wives, so you see the misery of Jacob. Because he married two sisters. No? So that's basically it what it means. You know, he has already lost control. Okay. One wife. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Why? He's lost control. Not violent? Lost control. Not quarrelsome? Lost control. Not a lover of money? Lost control. Now you look at this and say it's so which person in the world leader would get an elder position in the church <laughs> nobody the most successful person in the world also will not become an elder deacon in the church cannot be given that position okay. cannot be given that position so we need to understand how serious God is talking about Titus 1 7 okay. since an overseer is entrusted with God's work he must be blameless not overbearing Not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. That's what, I mean, because he's saying, that's what I said, no? The most difficult job is to elder a church or lead a church, leadership position a church. Because in every other industry or anything in the world, there is criteria by which you are allowed to come in. Right? Not in the church. You are saved by faith. That's what the unclean thing, that sheet that came down with all kind of creepy crawly things. There is no criteria set over there. You should be disciplined before you come to church. No. You should be not an alcoholic. No. You should not be in your prostitute. Get in. drunkard, get in. Liar, get in. Thief, get in. Every crew, get in. You are saved by faith. And you have to take care of them. You getting the picture? It doesn't happen in any other profession. Every other profession criteria is set. and You have to pass this criteria, then you are allowed to join the company and work. So criteria takes out most of the people out whom you don't want. But in the church, everybody is allowed in. And a leader is appointed. What is the leader? He has to have this standard where you have the most irritating set of people, but be gentle. Might be all kind of alcoholics get in, but you should not be drunken. You should not be angry. You should not be get upset. That is why self-control is put over there. High in the list. Because of the nature of the people who get saved and come. Like I said, you Self-control is one. You should not do the things you should not, ought not do. And you should also do the things which you are supposed to do. What does the Bible says? You should not be violent, but you should be gentle. One is negative. The other is positive. People who get saved, you know, I've heard testimonies of pastors saying, you know, one whole set from the hoodlum comes and gets saved. And they are so excited for Jesus. But the only way they know how to get excited is to go and have marijuana. But that's the only thing they know. And little later, evening service, they all come high, and they are high because they are so excited they are saved. And he has to minister them through the process and tell them, you are on a high, but this is not the way to get high. You have to teach them through the process. Yet, he says, "No." Prostitutes get saved. We don't see that in India. But I'm talking about Western nations. They come. And they come and they get saved. They come the way they are dressed. And they sit among you along with the others the way they are. But the problem is, you have to exercise self-control. This has come through by grace. You You cannot differentiate between these two. And you have to be gentle with them and teach them and mentor them through the process. Right. Hippies will come in, drug addicts will come in, hookers will come in, they'll all come in, get it saved. And God says, you know, the leadership you have is not like in the world, no criteria. Everybody gets it. And Peter is strong, Lord, I have never eaten three times. He says, no, God says, no. But I have clients, don't call it unclean. Don't look at the outward. Inside you need to look, they have been born again. Outside is messed up. That's why you need self-control. Lord, they have no self-control at all. That is okay. Do you have? The problem is not whether that fellow drinks. The fellow will, are you tempted to drink? Okay. So, the demand is huge, huge, huge. He must, he must be gentle, meaning he's not trample upon other people's feelings or opinions, because they don't understand. You have to be very of smoking flax, he will not put off. A bruised reed he will not break. How gentle Jesus is with, with people. Yet he's the purest man who ever walked on earth. And here is a ma- much married woman living with her sixth boyfriend. That's over there. How gentle he is with her. Yet he's found. Hmm? Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 23 to 25. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrelsome. But the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them to repentance, leading them to knowledge of the truth. If you look at all these instructions, what is it talking about? What is the major thing that you need? You need self-control. It demands an incredible level of self-control which not Sparta can give you. Only the Holy Spirit can give you. Even Spartans did not have this self-control. For them, anything that of weakness was to be discarded. If a Spartan had a baby girl, it was taken and thrown out. They didn't want girls. They want only boys. You think female infant began in India? No, it began in Sparta. Anything that was considered weak was to be neglected and to be thrown out, to be discarded. Okay. But that's not the way here. The way here is exactly the opposite. All these weak and foolish things all come in, but you exercise self-control and be very gentle, very patient, and all kind of greedy people will come in there. Don't be partaker of there for dishonest gain. Watch your heart against mammon. Watch your heart against mammon. Titus 1, 10 and 12. I gave you the this thing, the the church. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers, deceivers, especially of the circumcision group. They must be silenced. For that you need to be self-controlled. How to be tough with the tough and how to be gentle with the other. Because they are tough, you don't back off. Oh, I cannot handle it. And because they are gentle, you because they are very weak, you can't be weak either. Because everybody has to be taught the same virtues. So Titus is the only guy. I said Titus is Paul's troubleshooter. Timothy can't handle this. Demas can't handle this. Luke can't handle this. Only Titus can. And Titus handled Corinth Church and brought order over there. And he says, I'm very happy. So when there is an issue in Kriti, he says, I need to go. I'm putting you here in charge. This is the most difficult church you will ever have. And you're going to handle it and straighten them up. And the first thing you have to do is in this motley crowd, you need to find elders who have self-control. Put them in charge. You, know? you have to learn how to handle both. So basically God is telling is Paul is telling the Holy Spirit is telling it doesn't matter how successful a Christian man may be in the world the question is if he wants to be into leadership in the church does he have self control can he handle crisis when it comes look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil who was led To be what tempted by the, and we know about the temptations, and we know Jesus overcame the temptation. We know Jesus overcame the temptation. He defeated the devil as a temptation, and he says it is written. Let me tell you the other side. You know how he overcame? Because of self-control. It is absolutely because he was tempted by food, and he was hungry. He said no. He was tempted by possession. I'll give you the whole world. He says no. He said he was given fame. Jump down. He said no. He said no. And that is what the Holy Spirit was saying. Son, you had 30 years of training unknown. Now I want to know whether you have the self-control to assume the leadership in the church. First test is that. Can you assume leadership? I'm going to put the church into your hands. You're going to be the head of the church. Do you have the self-control to be a leader in the church? The leader in the church. The leader in the church. And he won. He won. He won. Because once we lose control, we come under another force. Another force almost always is evil. Oh, that's a principle in James chapter 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. How can you be quick to listen? Only if you have self-control. Slow to speak. How can you be? Only if have self-control slow to become angry, you need even more self-control for a man's anger. What does man's anger mean? Loss of control does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You know why the righteous life that God desires does not come us? Because we lose control. We lose control. In there, in the place of anger, you can put anything there of excess, anything there pick anything. You put it over there. It does not. Excess of anything. Anger is excess of temper. Okay? Anything of excess over there will not bring the righteousness of God. Whether it is work or whether it is rest. Whether it is food or whether it is eating. Whether it is pleasure or whether it is pain. Excess of nothing produces the righteousness of God. That is where self-control comes. Please understand the balance in the kingdom of God. We are not called to be sadhus, sages, and ascetics. Okay? That was a false teaching of religion, including Christianity. Self-denial is cultish. Because we also have to enjoy the legitimate pleasures God has given us in moderation. Okay. Self control, abstain, lawless pleasures be moderate in lawful and legitimate pleasures. Paul has very clear instructions about it because saint has liberty. First Corinthians 10-23 Everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible but not everything is constructive. We have the liberty. Doesn't mean you can do everything. First Timothy chapter 4-1 part of the doctrine of devils. Okay, The spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Can I go to verse 3 there? What is one of the deceiving things taught by the demons? The demons also have their doctrine. You know what it is that? Verse 3, forbidding to marry. Commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the thought. You know what? Abstaining. It becomes a cult. You know, you have an entire church where the ones in church leadership are not allowed to marry. They're not allowed to marry. God says, you know what? There's nothing, no virtue about it. That's a cult. That's a cult. God has given everything. Only thing that you should have self-control. When you abstain, no, oh, I'm not eating this thing, I only eat vegetables, I don't eat meat at all, I only drink water, I don't, if you make that into a law, you know what happened? That is not self-control. That's a cult. It's a doctrine of the demon. You need to know what moderation is. You know what moderation is. Okay. If you come to Jude chapter 1 verse 4, the other side, the doctrine of the devil. Okay. Certain men whose condemnation I have written about long ago secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of God into a license for immorality. What is it talking about? You have taken grace but you have no self-control. Self-control is gone. So either you go into a law and you use it but actually you have no control or you go into grace and you lose self-control. So this is the inter precipice on which we have to walk. Okay. Both extremes disqualify from one from Christian leadership. Let me tell you one thing so that you will get your ears perked up. If God cannot, God, not man, if God cannot pick you to be a leader in the church on earth, he will not be a leader for church in the kingdom to come. The training is here. The picking is there. So it does not matter if you were not picked to be an elder on earth. If you fit this criteria, you will be an elder in church in heaven. That is why these things matter. These things are not written for temporary eldership on earth. This is written for eternal eldership in heaven. And the criteria is the same. So even if you never enter into a position in the church in your entire life and serve faithfully, it does not matter. The question is, did you have this virtue which was God was looking for? 1 Timothy chapter 3, 3 and verse 8. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. Verse 8. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Let he fall into reproach and snare of the devils. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much money, not greedy for money. Dishonest gate is KJV will use. The question is, The question is, how did you make your money? How did you make your money? How did you make your money? It's very important how you make your money, where you put your money, even as an investment, where you put your money to make your returns. Because there are lots of places where you can put your money and you say, I'm putting my money, my returns are good. But you've been very careful where you put it. Because that fellow will take it and put it into something that kills people. And it is responding. You are not. You are not worried of the consequences. I just. I just want to make my money. Okay, Tony Campolo, one of the famous writers. Let me read to you something he said. Okay, it's beautiful what he says. Tony Campolo, in his book, Ka, I don't know how to pronounce Latin, diem which means "seize the day," goes on and on about the American Christian is trapped in an absurd situation he writes just think about last christmas season your biggest problem was probably not figuring out where you would get enough money to buy presents for family members and friends instead it was trying to figure out what to buy for people who had everything the answer to the problem should have been self-evident what you should buy for those who have everything is nothing But you didn't have the guts to pull it off. Did you? No. Instead, you went up and down the aisles of department stores having anxiety attacks. Panic-stricken. You stressed, searched, even prayed that somebody, somewhere had invented some new thing that nobody needs. So you could buy them for people who have everything. This is not an absurd description of a reasonable world. It's a rational description of an absurd world. Now let's leave the American Christian. Let me ask this question. Do we really need most of the things which we buy? But don't we still buy it? You know why? Because we want to be conformed to the pattern of the world and not be conformed to the image of Christ. We have bought in. And we do not have the Mm self-control to resist, to say no. No. This of all the economic ideas out there, capitalism is one of the best. But if you look at capitalism, even communists are capitalists at heart. The problem with capitalism is this. You need people to buy more things in more quantities. Things which they do not need. That means we end up working more to make more money and end up with less time for God and family. We end up working more to make more money, to buy more things which we don't need so that we actually end up with less time for God and for family and friends. We become slaves to the culture around us because we did not have the control to say no. Say no. We are drawn into the culture. Romans twelve two says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. We are drawn into the culture. Confirmed, but be transformed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. And Romans 8.29 says, on the other hand, we were chosen for what? To be conformed to the image of the sun. But you cannot be conformed to the image of the sun unless we have self-control. And like I told, like Pastor Vijay said on last Sunday to the youth, I hope you listen to that message. If you don't don't go back and listen. All this begins when you are small. If you do not teach or learn, if you are young, learn. If you are older, teach. Control when you are young. It is almost impossible to get it when you are older. Almost impossible. And it begins with the simple things which young people like. Food, drinks, Clothes and entertainment. These four things. Watch out. Watch out. You don't control these four things. You are gone. You are saved, but you are gone in eternity. You end up as nobody in eternity. Because if this is the criteria to be a deacon in church demanded by God, what do you think is the criteria to be an elder in heaven? Elder in heaven. Okay. That is why the Bible talks about the condition set. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. You look at the Ephesus church, you will look at, says, you know what? This church is definitely full of overcomes until you come to the last line. Church says, you know what? Duty, no love. I'm going to take the lamp away from you. Does it mean they are lost? No. He says, you cannot achieve anything in heaven. You still don't fit my criteria. So we have to be very serious about these things. That's a question. Dishonest gain. right? Luke 12, verse 15. He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. But isn't that how you work? Now let's let's talk about the young people sitting over here. Anybody? You're going to you, let's say you start academic here July 1st. Everything is open. You go. No uniform. The struggle begins. That's why uniform was put there basically to bring control. Uniform was not about uniformity. Uniform is meant for those who have no control, and most people do not have control. That's why the Bible says the law is for the lawless. The law is not for the law abiding. And I'm telling you, whether you are a boy today or a girl tomorrow, you are not thinking about what to study tomorrow, about the class. You are thinking about what to wear. What to wear. That's the main concern. Because you know what? You want to fit into the culture. You want to fit into the culture. Okay. Let me ask you this question, all you simple Indian, Telugu boys and girls. <laughs> Who changed your taste buds? When you go to your college cafe and whatever this thing and go, how come you order pizza and burger? And not tomato rice? You know why? Because there is a reputation in pizza. I, we eat pizza. Not tomato bar. I'm talking to Indians. I'm not saying anything wrong in eating pizza. What I'm saying, are you eating it because it's healthy? You go to the canteen. The, the slate kind of thing is there. tomato bath, 10 rupiah. Pizza, 55. you we'll spend 55 when you can eat 10 rupees. Though you grew up on the 10 rupee thing. But you want to pretend you are something else. Pretend something, you are something else. Mm. This is where we have to understand, this is where the self-control matters. That's where Daniel said no. So he could have gone with the in crowd and said, okay, I will eat like a Babylonian. We said, but I'm not a Babylonian, I'm a Hebrew. I'm not a Babylonian, I'm a Hebrew. We need to understand where we are going. And people have no control over anything. And you know what happens? You are saved. But we are not fighting for salvation. We are running a race for eternal. And Paul puts a temporary, he says, people in the world for a perishable crown go into discipline. They exercise self-control. And he says, how much more we? And he looks in the whole set of his assistants and he says, no, Timothy can't be sent. Devas will run away. <laughs> Luke will probably prescribe medication. You know, one troubleshooter I have, tough dude over here, it he is Titus. He's got control. He knows how to be gentle with the weak. He knows how firm to be with the wicked. He is one guy who can handle it. He's a troubleshooter. He sends him to Corinth. He fixes Corinth. He says, now you know what? It's church here. Worse than Corinth. It's Critic." He says, I'm leaving you there. Bring order. Bring order. Bring order. You look at the entire book of, the epistle to Titus in each of the four categories. What is common? Older men, older women, younger men, younger. So one rule. One thing. And the simple question to ask is that do we have it? Do we have it? Like I said, it is that nut that holds everything. To, this, this fruit of the spirit doesn't come automatically. We have to learn it. It has to be taught. Let the older women teach the younger women how to love. If love has to be taught, peace has to be taught, kindness has to be taught, patience has to be taught, self-control has to be taught. yes, Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know who is this we? Those who have self control. Otherwise, nothing is going to work for my good. Nothing is going to work for my good. We know who are these we? He's putting we who have self control. When we suffer for Christ Jesus, we don't run back. Because he's working these things out. These things don't you don't get it to buy f- fake certificates called self control. Yes. You have to go through the grinder. Yes. <laughs> not, we know. How do we know who is this we? It is only possible for the child of God who is developed and developing, learning the fruit of self control. With self control, even the negative can be turned around for good for it channels energy into God's will with the negative all things work together how does all things work together how did all things work together for Joseph because he had self control how did all things work together for Daniel or his friends because of self control what's the difference between a river and a flood Flood is a river that lost control. And therefore it becomes destructive. Yet if the same river is controlled, you know, the blessing it brings. Haridat Telangana, isn't it true? In seven years Telangana has changed. Honestly changed. It's become, literally becoming another Punjab. It's becoming the rice ball of India. You know why? Because the rivers that were flooding, the water is being taken around and irrigating the whole thing. Okay, When the river overflows its bank, it's a river without control. All it brings is destruction. But when it is controlled, it brings a green revolution. It generates power. It can do a whole lot of things. And that's what God is talking about. Okay. And that is the power of self-control. Genesis 49 and verse 22, when he blesses, what does he say But one son who had self-control? Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. Why did he run over? What is the only thing, virtue you see about Joseph everywhere? He had incredible control, incredible control. In Potiphar's palace, he's not in depression, he's got control. You know what? He's working well. And yet when he's tempted, he uses self-control to say no. He's thrown into prison, he's got control. He's working well. And when he ascended to the top place, he's got incredible control not to let that, spoil him. Not let that spoil him. The question, the simple question God is asking is, can I prosper you? Can I prosper you? I want to bless you. That's my desire. But God says, do you have the control to handle the blessings? Do you have any blessing? Any blessing do we have? Why is that most of the great singers in the world were first singers in the church and now are singing junk and evil lyrics? You know why? Because they had a gift and they had no control. No control. The gift was from God. But they had no control. The rich man. God gave them the power to make wealth, but they had no control. Health is a gift from God. And now they are all sick. You know why? Because they had no control. What to eat, what not to eat, how to sleep, how to rest, how to work, no control. And when we lose control, you need this is a primary thing. Because when you rule with Jesus for a thousand years, these are not kosher people you are going to rule over. These are unsaved, rebellious people who will still join with the devil a thousand years later. He says, can you rule over them? Have you ruled over yourself when you were on earth? before I allow you to rule over others. All things work together for the good of those who love Who are those people? These are people who have exercised this gift. So all you young mothers, you have small children. Don't destroy them. Discipline them. You don't have to spank them. You don't have to do any one of those things. Only things, teach them early. How to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep, when to wake up. You have to teach these things now. You don't teach those things now? It doesn't matter what else you teach. It doesn't matter where they go to study. If they do not have self-control, they are goners. But if you have self-control, everything in your life will turn around for your good. That's a principle in the Bible. As I close, let me give an illustration. It's about Thomas Alva Edison. It's an interesting illustration. He had this huge sprawling estate. <laughs> The entrance to the estate was a very heavy gate. So you had to really push the gate to open, to come in. So one day, one of his friends said, that you are such a man, renowned man, everybody knows about you. Why do you still keep this old clumsy gate? He had a twinkle in his eye. He said, you come here, I'll show you. When you push this gate, do you see this thing, attachment going? It turns a... A mortar kind of a thing. And when it turns the mortar, when you open the gate and when you shut the gate, when you go back, it puts one gallon of water into my tank. So it does not matter whether you are my friend or my enemy. When you come to my house, you fill my tank. (laughs) That's exactly what is God is saying. If you have self-control, it doesn't matter whether it is good coming your way or bad coming your way. It will work out for your eternal good. It will work out for your eternal good. See, we admire Joseph and Daniel and all, but we don't realize what made Joseph Joseph and what made Daniel Daniel. What was it? They were taught early to exercise something. Exercise control. And if you don't exercise control, whether it is over your tongue or your belly or your desires or anything, you know what will happen. Ultimately, you lose. You don't lose your salvation. You lose your rewards. And Paul is absolutely clear about the gift and the character. He says, after having preached, he knows it's a gift, I myself will be disqualified. But you know, at the end, final letter of his letter, he says, I'm not disqualified. I have run my race. I've kept my faith, you know, and I know, I know. He says, you know, what? I'm not disqualified. I mean, the question is, how do you know? He says, I know how I ran. I said yes to the things I should say yes, and I said no to the things I should know. And I'm finishing well. I'm finishing well. And outer criteria does not matter. Outer criteria looks you're a failure. You're lying in prison. You're ready for execution. Most of your church has turned another way, most of your close companions has gone. does he says it doesn't matter. I look inside. I've done it. I've done it. That is the key. Okay. So the let epistle to Titus, we need to read and we need to learn. And it is you are never too late to learn. Like I said, the older you get, if you do not have discipline, it is not it is impossible. It's improbable, but it is possible only thing you will have to really, really throw out a lot of stuff in your life. Throw out a lot of stuff in your life. You need to look at into your life and say, what is that consumes my time? What is that consumes my time? Two, what is that consumes my energy? See, all of us wake up every day with limited time, 24 hours, and limited energy. That's why we get tired. What is that consumes my time? What is that consumes my energy? What is that consumes my attention? What is that consumes my resources? And say, Lord, help me to change. That's why the Bible says, redeem the time. Walk circumspectly where you put your energy, where you put your resources. Because ultimately that's your life. Be careful. And you know what? You can change when things don't work it is called fasting it's an affliction of your soul basic telling I'm not going to let my body tell me what to do I'm gonna tell allow the spirit to so why should I afflict my soul because between my spirit and my body sits this control center called the soul if you can train my soul my body will listen My body will listen so fasting is not for the body though it's the body is the one who is afflicted it is for the soul you fast, you make conscious changes. And God is with you. God is not against you. That is why it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is God who sanctifies, but he asks you to cleanse yourself. It's it's the Holy Spirit that gives you self-control. But he says you need to be taught, you need to exercise to what you say yes and to what you say no. What you say yes. In, it's it's moderation. Because God gives us all things to enjoy, but in Moderation. In moderation, excess of anything. Okay, let God decide moderation. Don't drink two liters and say it is moderation. No, it is not. It is not. Okay, the simple thing is that simple litmus test is that when you fast, do you feel like dying? <laughs> now, honestly, it's, it's, most Christians I have met cannot fast. One day it's as if they are already prepared their coffee and I'm going to die. Three days and all is a miracle. (laughs) They cannot. They don't have it. They don't have, they have it. They cannot handle it at all. Fasting at all, they cannot handle it at all. Okay? Or a Daniel fast. Think about a Daniel fast. You know, everybody knows what a Daniel fast is. No meat. Dead. Gone. Finished. It, it, it's 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 not got to do with Sambar also. If you like something too much, can you live without it? Can you live without it? And it's not a joke. You may laugh, it's not a joke. These are little things that ultimately will decide. We talk about the revelations Daniel had. We study the re- books of Daniel, and the Apocalypse and the Antichrist and the um, Son of God being cut off 70 weeks. Oh, nothing would have been there if he had no self-control. That is Romans uh, Daniel eight. He purposed in his heart. That is control. Can you purpose in your heart and will your body obey is the question God asking. Or in Malayalam, the heart says, you purpose in your heart, body says, Pora. <laughs> I know, who is boss here? Okay. <laughs> okay. It is not one day, it is many days, but your fight is good. <laughs> Fight of faith. Okay. That is, because the devil is very smart. The devil is very smart. He knows he can't steal your, he knows you're running or he knows this fellow is puck up, go running for his crown. Let me see. The what I said. He knows us very well. And he can't steal our salvation, but he can still mess. He comes to steal. He can't steal your salvation. He comes to steal your crown. He took Isaac's crown off. How? Food. He took Moses crowned off. anger. Forty years he had self-control without losing his temper and then he lost it. And God lost it. God said you cannot enter. You cannot enter. You know how see, But you see there are Old Testament people who cannot remake. You cannot redo those things. New covenant people are given a fresh chance every day. Every day is given a fresh chance. God says get back. I am a father. Get back on the race. Run your race. Finish well. Don't. It doesn't matter if you're not elder in the church on earth. You need to be an elder in the church in heaven. Character that matters. In the church, if you look at most of the churches in the world, look at their committees and all—all all the rich fellow who's dishonest gain, the liars, the rebellious, the all these fellows are put in our Why? Because they have influence. But how did they get their influence? As well as I said, you have to read Timothy and Titus. You look at the criteria put for leadership in the church. 99% of the leaders in the world will not make it. It is impossible for them to get it, into that position. Because that kind of character is demanded by God. And it is the fruit of the Spirit. But That doesn't mean it comes automatically. We have to work at it. Then the Holy Spirit will work it. Amen. Let us pray, and we have a cutie in our midst, and uh, she's two years old, yeah, two years old today, two years old, and she's in our midst, wonderful to have little Evangeline with us, okay, let us pray, Father, we just thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. Even as all these things happen around the world, Lord, there is pandemic, there is fear, there is oppression, there is all kinds of pressure. But Lord, if we have to come through it has overcome us. There are virtues that you have said in your word. Add to your faith these things and add in an increasing measure. Thereby you can make your calling and your election sure. And on that day, we will receive a rich entrance into the kingdom of God, or master. God is not against riches. But he is saying, can you have riches and live a moderate life? And that's what Hebrews eleven eight 8, 9 says. Abraham, the richest man of his time, along with Isaac and Jacob, lived in tents. It was a simple life. A rich man with hundreds of slaves. The richest does not touch at heart. He lived a very simple life. Yet we have here poor people living rich lives which they cannot afford. And you had the richest man living a simple life, and God saying it's because he had self-control. He had control. Therefore I could bless him without measure. God is asking us that. Do we have that? Do we, do we at least realize we need it? And we are fighting for those things. Putting our death to flesh. Flesh to death each day. And saying no to these things. Yes to certain things. To life. Live life in moderation. Teach these things to older men. Said Paul. To be self-controlled. Teach older men to be reverent, temperate, self-controlled. Young women to be self-controlled. Young men to be self-controlled. One common criteria for everybody. Deacons to be self-controlled. Overseers to be self-controlled. So how important that virtue is, O Lord. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Teach us. And help us to fight for those things. Like Paul did. He said, i beat beaten about my body to shape under control. So that after having preached or done our work, we ourselves should not be controlled. Because God said, you had the works, but you didn't have the character. Help us, Lord, to fight for the things which are really, really important in thy kingdom. For we are not running after a temporal crown. We are running after an imperishable crown, which the Lord himself will give that day. Commit all the brother everywhere around the world into their hands. Those who are sick, I pray you heal them. Those who are shaken, I pray you strengthen them. Those who are discouraged, I pray they will look up. For our redemption does not come from the east or the west. It comes from above, our God. Oh, Father. And we bring our little one here and we bless Evangeline in your name, Lord. The hand of God will rest upon her. And that she too would be one of your chosen ones. That generation about whom the word describes a mighty generation. That would declare your works. This little one also would be added into that generation, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. We coming the rest of the day into the hands. This evening service also into the hands. Continue to walk with us and teach us, Lord. And give us the power to obey. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. amen.